Welcome in. This is the very first episode of The Scramble. Today's Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Andy Lack. And Andy, the first ever time we are getting together to talk golf amongst many other things that might come up over the course of these episodes. Rick, I'm so excited. We've obviously been talking about an idea like this for a little bit now, and we were finally able to conceptualize it uh, together to get it to go. And I can't wait to get started, man. As you mentioned, we'll see where this goes. We want there to be a lot of listener interaction. Um, we have a rough outline, but if it goes off the rails, it goes off the rails. And um, the feedback so far when you made the announcement has been fantastic. So I'm excited to get going, man. Let's do it. It's a very rough outline. Let's let's be real. It is. <laughs> I've got a couple of bullet points. We'll see where the conversation takes us. We are certainly live on YouTube right now. If there are comments, questions, concerns, happy to interact with those. And the replays will be available on YouTube. The audio will be available in the feeds uh, afterwards. But the idea of this whole thing, Andy, is... Is, is the namesake. It's 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 the scramble, right? And it's kind of the way I wanted to go with 300 yards to unknown is I wanted to stay golf adjacent, talk about things in golf, but golf goes in a lot of different directions. And sometimes we have to have those conversations as well. So it kind of leaves us open to really whatever we want to do here. Absolutely. And I mean, you have such a strong data background. I'm a big data guy too, but I also have yeah. a bit of an architecture background. We both love to play DFS. We both love to bet, but we also both love to just talk golf in general and make weird lists and talk random storylines. So that's kind yes. of what we were hoping for <laughs> with the scramble is that it's going to be kind of an all encompassing golf program where you can kind of get anything you need. Fantasy conversation, sure. Betting, absolutely. We'll do a one and done. We'll have fun segments, like Andy said, lists and games or trivia, whatever it looks like. But with this being the very first week of 2022, by the way, Happy New Year, Andy. Has it, how, New how, Year. how was your first three days of the new year? You feeling optimistic about this one? I feel fantastic. It was, I was just joking um, on my podcast last night. It kind of feels like the first day of school. Yeah. Like everybody's back on Twitter. Uh, Twitter was a blaze on Monday morning. You, you'd think that we've been off for a year and I'm excited to get back. I think the break, I'm a big advocate of the break. Some oh. people think it's too short. Some no. people think it's too long. I think it's a perfect amount of time. So I love the month off, but I just missed it enough to get ready to get back into it. Wouldn't it be better if there was no break, Andy? Wouldn't that be better? Or do we do like do we do we need this or does the PGA Tour need this so they don't have to like directly compete with the NFL? I feel like the PGA Tour needs it more than we do. We'll be <laughs> fine anyway, but I would argue, Rick, that because the PNC turned into something that I don't think anyone thought it would be, it almost was like a transfer in between. The break felt a little bit shorter because I don't think anyone expected to be that engaged with the PNC. So it was really only two weeks, basically. That's true. That's true. And if you want to throw in the QBE or anything else that was going sure. on, we kind of got a little bit of golf to talk about. We got a lot of golf to talk about this week, but we've got a lot of talk uh, golf to talk about this year. 2022, lots of interesting storylines. We're going to have Tiger hovering over us at some point. That's kind of expected that he'll come back into the world of golf and play competitively at some point. My guess, the Open Championship. That would be my guess. I wouldn't be surprised to see him walk down Magnolia Lane in Augusta, Georgia in just a couple of months. But there's a 
couple of other storylines that I think are interesting in 2022, Andy. Is there anything that stands out to you as we are just a few days into this year as something that we want to track and we want to keep an eye on for the next 12 months? I'm fascinated to see kind of the race for world number one between kind of Colin and Rom. And there's a bunch of other guys that you could throw in there that we talked about this on a Twitter space. We did. There's about 10 to 15 guys that I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year, they were the world number one and they kind of emerged as the guy. I think there's never been more parody in golf. I love parody. I think parody is a great thing. I think parody is a great thing for betting and DFS. Um, I know some would say like when it comes to basketball and football that dynasties are great and domination are great, but I love the parody that we have in our game. So I think the thing that I'm most fascinated is on is somebody going to emerge? Is somebody going to win four times this season? Is somebody going to win two majors? Is someone going to be the undisputed guy? My answer is no, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Probably not. I, you, you nailed it. You know, there's 10 or 12 really, really good players. The number one ranking has been a revolving door seemingly since Tiger gave it up, right? I mean, it's hard for guys to really maintain it for a, a really long time. And I think it speaks to the game. It, now that it is a revolving door, are, are you concerned that it kind of lessens the idea of being the number one player? Somebody gets there for three months and then he's bounced it. Like, I actually think Rory's streak of whatever it was, 10 years inside the top 10 is more impressive than if he was the number one player in the world for 18 months. Yeah. You know, that's a fair point. I think even in the time, and this kind of ties into the tiger discussion a little bit, even at the time that tiger was at his peak and even closer to 2019, when he won the masters, Golf is in such a stronger place already. I mean, it keeps, if you look at driving distance statistics, Rick, driving yeah. distance is increasing by like five yards a year. Now that doesn't sound like a lot on the surface, but I mean, five, it just, it adds up a lot. So what's kind of tricky for me to figure out is like, are we going to be able to find a situation where there is domination on the PGA tour mm. again? Like I said, I said no, but I agree with you. The feat of kind of being around and being in the mix is probably becoming harder and harder to do as the years go on. Jordan in the chat says he thinks Justin Thomas will win four times. That's it's kind of hard to argue. You know, JT, he plays seemingly a lot more than a lot of the other top guys. His win equity is, is, is always massive. He's going to play a lot of the smaller field events, which gives him a really good chance. And when you hit the ball as well as he does with his irons and wedges, yeah, he's he's going to be in contention. Four times is a lot. What did Rory – Rory won three times in the year that it was like him and Kepka for player of the year, right? And I remember thinking, oh, my God, three wins doesn't even guarantee you like the player, you know, player of the year. It's so hard to do. So winning four times is stout. It's impressive if you could pull it off. I think JT did four or five in 2016 or 2017. I – that – go ahead. I, I think it? he did it in the same. I'm pulling it up right now, but I'm pretty sure it was was 16 the year that Speef Spe, no 15 was Speef's year, right? Where he won like five times, and then yeah, I think he won the Open in 16, I think, and won the Masters in 15. Yeah, and and uh, Justin Thomas has had a five win season. I'll pull it up here and and, and get back. To I, it. I got you. I'll vamp. I, I think that 
I personally don't. I mean, we're both really high on Justin Thomas, Rick. I think that's safe to say. I mean, he's my early peck as it stands right now to win the Masters. Four wins is going to be really tough. I mean, keep in mind last year, Patrick Cantlay won four times and it took Rom withdrawing uh, with the COVID situation being up six strokes and the tour championship where he had this big started uh, this big stroke advantage and gaining what 15 strokes putting against Bryson in a playoff, which is the best putting performance of the strokes gained era. Yeah. Um, so all of those things had to happen for a really great player like Patrick Cantlay to win four times last year. I think four is a lofty goal. Rick, let me ask you this. If you had to set over unders for win totals. This is my favorite Um, over under for win totals. Would you put any golfer currently in the world at 1.5? I mean, I guess the only answer is probably John Rahm just because his, well, here's, here's what I actually think is the most likely scenario. Rahm probably uh, regresses a bit in terms of his advanced metrics, the strokes gain metrics, because he was gaining something like two strokes per round over the yeah. course of 2021. There is a strong likelihood that he regresses there, but wins more, right? Like yeah. he could have two wins, three wins by being a, a one and a half stroke per round player. So I think Rom is, is probably the only guy in that conversation just because how, how often he was in contention, how many top fives, how many top tens he had, but I think we're in an era where anybody setting a line at 1.5 for a win total is, is an extremely lofty line. I agree. Like I would put almost everyone at 0.5 or one. Um, I agree with you. I think Rom and probably Morikawa are the best guesses for multiple winners. Maybe if you want to throw Bryson in there because of the upside and, and JT I'm, I'm fine with as well, but I'm kind of with you. I think this is, I think we're kind of in this situation, Rick, where these guys are just going to keep beating themselves up over and over again, which I'm perfectly okay with. I love that because I think that kind of presents more value from a betting and DFS standpoint where you kind of, sometimes when Tiger was at his peak and Tiger's plus 100 or plus 250 to win a tournament. It just makes the betting market strange to kind of parse through. So I kind of like where we're at. I mean, we've approached that a little bit with Rom where he's a little unbettable, but for the most part, there's just so much parity at the top of our sport right now. To put a bow on this, Justin Thomas's 2017 was a five-win year. He won the Tournament of Champions and the Sony, so he won the first two weeks of the year. Then he added the PGA Championship, the Dell Technologies, and the CJ Cup, which would have been in October. So that was a year, not a season, a year of five victories for JT. That's the year we're thinking about. Here's the other Here's the other little nugget from Nosferatu, the OWGR king no. on Twitter. John Rahm, to maintain his number one ranking, no matter any other outcome, needs to win or finish second. If he does not do that, there are five different scenarios in which Colin Morikawa becomes the number one player in the world. Basically, it would be with a top three finish and Rahm finishing lower on the board is the way for Morikawa to, to kick off his 2020. But but we had the, we had this conversation five, four weeks ago, and we were, we were ready to coronate Colin Morikawa is the number one player in the world five shot lead whatever it was on Sunday and it didn't happen like is it second second time knocking on the door maybe it opens yeah isn't that funny we did that Twitter space when Colin Morikawa had a five stroke lead at the hero world challenge 
Obviously, he struggled on Sunday. I'm not going to put too much stock into that whatsoever. I still think Colin Morikawa is as likely as anyone to overtake that mantle. But like you said, we'll just we'll just kind of have to see. There's a lot of scenarios that could play out even in this uh, kind of 40-man field with the Tournament of Champions at this kind of resort course to start the year. I want to get to this thing I see in the chat real quick, and then we'll move on to the Tournament of Champions, I'm sure. But PGA Tout asks, I'm curious to hear your answer. Who has more wins? Who has more in 2022? John Rom <laughs> wins or Tiger Woods PGA Tour starts? I want to hear your answer on this. So I think the answer is probably Tiger Woods starts, believe it or not. And I think that's hard to imagine, but okay, here's the way I think about this. He gets in the accident in February. He is playing at the PNC Championship in November, so basically nine or ten months. He looked pretty dark. I think he looked a lot better than he was leading us into uh, in some of his press conferences, his ball speed was like PGA Tour average. It's a lot different to play on the PGA Tour. I get it. But he's going to get basically four more months before you get to Augusta National. Wouldn't, would not surprise me to see him play. I think the more likely return is the Open Championship. And then after that, I mean, he's going to play – what would be the most the next most logical stops for? I mean, he'll play his own tournament. He'll play the Hero World Challenge next year. But I guess that doesn't count as a PGA Tour start. Where would be other logical places that Tiger would play? Well, there's a difference between logical for Tiger's game and yeah. logical for Tiger as like a public figure. I think that Sedgefield would be a very logical spot for Tiger Woods to play. I think that Harbortown would be a very logical spot for Tiger Woods to play. I think the biggest thing that Tiger has going for him at 46 years old now is that he's still a golf savant. I mean, if you look at how he won the 2019 Masters, he wasn't hitting it farther than anyone at that point. Um, he just deconstructed that course, and he knows Augusta like the back of his hand. It's such a nuanced course um, that that is where he's going to find his greatest advantage, and that is what St. Andrews is in a nutshell. It is a very nuanced course, right? There's a lot of angles involved with St. Andrews where there's a lot of different ways that you can play it. There's a lot of different routes to the pen. Tigers obviously won there twice. So I'm probably with you. I think that we see Tiger first at the Open Championship. Um, I I think if you want to set the over-under for Rom major wins this year, I think it's 0.5. And I think I'd probably lean to the under just because of how good these guys are. And for Tiger starts, I'd say one, 1. 1.5. So I'm with you. I'll go with Tiger by a hair. Yeah. And this is Rom wins, not necessarily major wins, I think. So oh. just wins. Which, but, but still, but still, if you put Tiger, at, if you think Tiger's going to play twice, and we would not have set the line on John Rom wins at two, we would have said that maybe one and a half, probably one, just because yeah. of the nature of the game. And you could, he could be the player of the year. With one win, you could be, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but you know what I mean? Like he could have an amazing year with one win, just like he did last year. If Tiger plays twice, I think that's the side you want. I think so too. I think so too. And and it's going to be tricky to figure out, like, is he going to make his debut at a major? You would think the lot, I mean, he's never over the course of his career. He's never been a kind of like a Phil or a Brooks where they play that event in Houston before the masters. That's never been Tiger's. 
um, deal, but I feel like he's got to do, he's got to bridge that gap somehow between a major championship and four rounds of golf um, and some sort of PGA tour event. So it's interesting to see, like maybe the, maybe the players, Rick, I, I don't know. I try and think about courses that are flat. And the, the players walks. would be a great one. I just wonder, like, like the the whole Florida swing would be great for him. But if if you don't think he's coming back until the Open Championship, you miss out on all of that. If you think he's going to start gearing up for Augusta and he plays the players, or he plays the Arnold Palmer Invitational in advance, like that would make more sense, and it would definitely be the Tiger side. But if you if you don't think he's going to make his debut until July, you've run out of really good spots for him after that. I think. Yeah, maybe he does like the Scottish Open before and 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 that's kind of that's kind of what he gets but it, i mean it's it's going to be fascinating to see i i think it is very i think it's going to be very fun to follow as the year goes on this week maui baby century tournament of champions 40 different golfers won an event last year 39 of them have shown up to play in this event rory mcelroy the only one who has opted out a couple of uh Travel concerns here, maybe, Andy. Not so much for the players, but for their clubs. Daniel Berger seemingly laying on a beach without his luggage. Victor Hovland has been there for nearly a week. No clubs to be found. Is this a situation where we would just be best plugging our ears and ignoring this information, and these guys are going to be in contention, they're going to get their clubs eventually, it's not a big deal? Or are we smashing the panic button as of this moment, knowing they might not have their sticks? No, I love this stuff. I mean, this is just in the vein of Colin saying my irons aren't interacting with the herp. Well, <laughs> the this, is, yeah. this is Bryson saying before St. Jude's, I don't, I have no idea where the ball is going and there's Correct. weird things going on with my stomach um, that inject all the negative narrative, deflate the ownership into my veins. I have no problem with Victor Hovland or burger in this spot i think they deserve the benefit of the doubt in my opinion what about you yeah i'm just i'm plugging my ears i've fallen i have fallen for this uh too much here's here's victor hovland's post on instagram got here wednesday and the golf bag still sitting in seattle get your shit together delta uh <laughs> he he bleeped himself which uh that's nice nice guy the what okay i know why these guys don't fly private everywhere but i i'm always surprised at how many clubs get lost? I, I like it, it seems to happen way more frequently than it should, right? Have you ever had your luggage lost before? No, I haven't. I've had situations where I'm the only one in my family that travels anywhere with my golf clubs. So the mm. worst feeling is when everyone in my family has their bags and we're waiting on my golf Yeah, because it goes to oversized, it goes to oversized luggage or whatever, right? It goes and you're to like, okay, and, I hope it's and, coming. And I'm sitting there with my hand on my hip, just at oversized, like, and everyone's kind of um, not very happy with me over the weight. But no, I've never had them lost before. I've had some situations where it took forever, though. They and seem I, I, to get such bad luck. It's crazy to me. That's the thing. Well, or maybe it's just that they're traveling so much more often and there's so many more of them. It's not like Victor's bag gets lost every six weeks, but it's like someone's bag gets lost every couple of weeks as they're traveling from all over the place. There's a guy actually who uh, drives from every single PGA tour event. Have you heard this with a trailer? And I have not. So you can like hire him. He's, I forget what his job is, but he will fill in for caddies for guys at times. And he drives him and his wife drive a trailer from each 
PGA tour stop and you can put your stuff with him. So like Louis mattress, like how are you going to get Louis mattress from tour stop to tour stop? You throw it in this guy's trailer. I don't know if he does clubs and all that, but he literally drives it there and he leaves like as soon as the, you know, Sunday afternoon and he's there by whatever they drive through the night, they take turns. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. There's some business idea. There's an untapped market there, like a ship sticks, like medallion status um, thing for tour pros where we should try and figure out some way because there has to be some sort of express um, gold status for PGA tour pros to make this more efficient for them. But here we are. Ultimately, you know, I, I think a lot of these courses at a lot of these courses, like the tailor-made truck is there, the ping truck is there, and they can pull something together pretty quickly. I mean, was it, it who was who was the one that used Kevin? Was it Victor that used Kevin Na's driver? So at, James Hahn yeah. either broke his driver or lent him one. Yeah. And then someone else let him borrow one. I forget, I forget who broke it and who lent him one, but yes, he used somebody else's driver at Maya Coba, I think, wasn't it? And one. So I and think one. he's doing it. doesn't fine. matter. Yes. Yes. These yes. guys can put the, the ball on the center of the club face, no matter what. I want to talk about someone who is near and dear to your heart. We've got to get into our betting information, but how about this? I'm going to give us a quick 30 second break, Andy, and I think you might I think you might like this ad. Let's find out. Remember, Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field, but I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those two together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously and you've got a recipe for a great podcast follow inside golf on twitter and download inside golf wherever you download podcasts how about that delightful is, is that not per, like we are professionals one episode in this is amazing stuff unbelievable i couldn't ask for anything more just delightful rick thank you so much for that of course the one of the favorites for this week 12 to 1, depending on where you can find him, is the one, the only Xander Shoffley, who has clearly made a name for himself in these smaller field events. No cut. But I actually think, Andy, Xander is one of the more interesting storylines for 2022, just because everyone else has kind of gotten their wins, right? Whatever that means. Tony Finau, one again after a long period of time. Abraham answer finally notched one. Spieth back in the winner's circle. And what we naturally do is we just move on down the list to find someone that needs a win. And it's not like he doesn't win. He just doesn't win the events we like him to win or he doesn't get credit for the, the wins that we would like to give him. It's a very, very strange thing. Yeah, I think you could probably make the argument that uh, Xander has the strangest resume out of any PGA Tour player right now, and he's probably the most due for a win. Now, I would argue that the his win at the Olympics is very 
underrated. I think the reason why that might not be viewed the way that some other people view it is because as golf fans, we just don't yet have a relationship to the Olympics, right? Like we only had Justin Rose in 2016. And prior to that, there was like a hundred year absence. I think that that Olympic win is going to age very well. I think 2024, we have it in France at um, the course where we had the Ryder Cup in 2018. And then 2028, it's coming to Riviera. Um, so I think by the time we get to 2028, like we're going to be talking about the Olympics differently. And the only reason why I say that, Rick, is because if you look at the player quotes coming out of the Olympics, like Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Xander, obviously they were all like, this was a Ryder Cup atmosphere. This was incredible to me. Um, I had such a blast and I felt the intensity of the moment more so than I did anything else. I think the reason why we don't really know quite what to do yet with Xander's Olympic win is just because as golf fans, we don't really know what an Olympic win means, but I think that that win's going to age very well. If that makes sense as golf fans, we grow a relationship to the Olympics. Is that, does that kind of make sense at all? No, I think that's valid. You look at his official PGA tour victories. I'm showing them here on the screen. There's four of them. So the green briar, the tour championship, and then the WGC HSBC, and then this event, the Century Tournament of Champions. Now, if you go to his official World Golf Ranking page, you'll see two more victories. You'll get the Olympics win in there, and you'll get him, quote, winning the tour championship, but that was after the PGA Tour went to the staggered start. The official World Golf Rankings does not use the staggered start. So all in all, his resume it's just so unique. It's so weird for one of the top guys. Do you think he feels any of this? He knows any of this? He cares about any of this? Or he sees that he's got six occasions in which his name has been atop the leaderboard. And he doesn't give a, a crap what you and I think about his wins. I do think he cares about this and knows this. Like I kind of alluded to a little bit, I think the Olympic win was a way bigger deal for him than it was for us. Um, like if you read uh, some of his press conferences and quotes and stuff like that, he really felt like he got the monkey off of his back with that win because some of the things that Xander has struggled with is when he's gotten into contention before at Shadow Creek, the year that Jason Kokrak won um, in Phoenix, the year that Brooks Kepka kind of came up and stole it. He has really struggled late um, sometimes on Sundays. And for him to win the Olympics, he did that as a front runner. Um, which is very hard to do on the PGA tour. Like he was leading through three rounds. So I think he would tell you that he's doing fine, but no, I mean, you, you have to know as a PGA tour player and be cognizant of that stuff that, you know, Ricky Fowler's won on the PGA tour more recently than Xander. So <laughs> I don't want to say that he's pressing wreck, but I, I think he's aware of it. And I think he knows he kind of needs one. But even if he wins this week, aren't we going to say the same exact thing? Oh, my oh, God. 30, 39 golfers. No cut, of course. Even his two playoff losses. His two playoff losses were, again, the WGC HSBC and, again, the Tournament of Champions. Like, is, this, is that a skill when everyone is guaranteed four rounds to be so highly uh, you know, regarded near the top of the leaderboard? What does he have to win for us to never talk about this again? At any PGA Tour event or like a major? Probably a major. I mean, I, if he won Riviera or Torrey Pines, actually, I think yes. that would 
That would be fair. Um, he's talked about this before. Like he has said before in interviews, he has been directly asked the question actually by my good friend, Chris Powers. Is there a reason why you do so well in no cut events? And he said, yeah, I think that correlation is legitimate. <laughs> I think obviously there's some randomness involved with it, but when you grant a really good player for guaranteed rounds, um, the cream usually rises to the top the more that uh, the more opportunities that you give him. So if every golf tournament was 500 rounds, Rick, John Rahm or Morikawa would probably win, win every single one of them. It just yeah. takes that randomness and variable out of play. And at a much smaller level, that's kind of what you get in no cut events. No. Yeah. How many holes do you think it would take? How many holes? Okay. If you played Xander Shoffley, straight up, no strokes, one, in one hole matches, how many matches do you think it would take before you won? What course? <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> I, 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 I think like it, it's, it's so, it's so. What, what course was the first question? Not like, how am I setting this up? How much time do I have to get ready? It was what course? I don't know if it matters. Whatever course you uh, want. It's tricky to me. I, I'm a pretty good golfer. I'm a three, but I, I think that it would, it would take a really long time. Like I would say if, Xander gave me a stroke a hole at, I mean, the reason why I ask about the course wreck is because like if me and, if me and Xander both played Beth page black from the tips, Xander would maybe average a 72 and I would average like a 90. But if me and Xander played a much easier course, um, that I would be able to shoot 75 on, like there's only like, he wouldn't average a 59. You know what I mean? Like there's only oh, so, so an easier course. Correct. I want an easier course. If we played at a much harder course, I think that widens the gap between us. Yeah, if that makes I see sense. it both ways. If you play an easy course, you're going to have to make a birdie on a hole to beat him. Or I feel like if you go to like Torrey Pines is actually quite, there, there's a lot of erratic scores and stuff where sure. like doubles are lurking. Right. And if, if, if he makes a double and you just make a bogey, you've, you've won your, you've won your match. I don't know. I can see it both ways. You're right. He's not what an he average of 59. Yeah, that that would be that would be like my thing. What do you think? I would hope that uh, tw 20, 20 holes. I could I could I could win one. I think would be the line uh, over or under fair. twenty. Because yeah. the uh, again, if I make a par, well, see, yeah, it, of course, is a little bit dependent. If I can make a birdie or maybe a par wins it for me. And if it's just a one hole match, I can kind of take some risks or do some stupid stuff to try to, you know, stuff one close. If I make a double move on to the next match, I think, I think I could win one in 20 against the PGA tour pro, but uh, these guys are really good. They might just whoop me for like the next thousand holes. Before we put a bow on the Xander talk, can I get like your official prediction for him this year? Like, do you think that he's going to break through? Because I, yeah, I'm just curious to hear what you think, because sometimes I kind of want to try and take my goggles off and see what kind of the public perception is from other smart people. Yeah, I think here's the thing. He is so incredibly good across the board. He doesn't have a flaw in his game, but he does nothing sexy, which is probably why he's not like the most popular golfer in the world. But the fact that he's just constantly around, constantly around. And when you see it with Tony Finau, when you're just constantly around, sometimes stuff doesn't go your way. And in the case of Tony Finau, sometimes stuff doesn't go your way for five years, right? And you just finish inside the top five. 40 times you finish runner up 12 times or something crazy. So I, I just think 
being around is a really good skill and eventually things are going to shake out for him. I think he's still, I mean, he's still very much trending upwards in terms of his career trajectory. He's probably just getting better and better. Uh, it, it, I'll tell you, he was at TPC Summerlin the other day. Swing looked good. I haven't mentioned that to you, but like, yeah, he was, uh, he was striping it, but they all stripe it on the driving range, but it is, yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked for him. I think he's going to have a great year and he's going to get, he, he needs more win luck because it's, he's, it's, he's been so unlucky with it for three years. And, and, and just to kind of transition a little bit into talking about this specific tournament as it regards to Xander, I think this is a really good get right spot for him, Rick, because what Xander kind of struggled with the most at the end of the year was uh, driving accuracy. Actually. Like I remember watching him at the Zozo, he couldn't keep the ball on the planet. So he's generally a really good driver of the ball, but he kind of lost a little bit of his control off the tee. And now we travel this week to a course with the widest fairways on tour. Yes. Not even I could miss these. So I've got a couple of fun little segments coming up that we are going to roll through, but I want to just kind of get your general leans and fades for this week. It's no surprise that John Rahm and Justin Thomas are atop the betting board. If you look, I believe Caesars has them both at about eight and a half to one numbers are a little bit different in some other places. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised to see Bryson DeChambeau at 12 to one, which is much shorter than guys like, or not much shorter, but shorter than Patrick Cantlay, shorter than Jordan Spieth, shorter than some guys who uh, certainly have win equity. So are there any other, are there, are there certain targets of guys that you think are going to play well after this, after this layoff that we've had? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I was looking at Rick this week when I was trying to kind of narrow down my player pool and kind of find the guys that I wanted to target from a betting perspective, I looked at who's, who starts hot. Um, because there's been a long enough layoff now, Rick, where if somebody played a tournament in October and they lost like five strokes ball striking, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. There's just too much, there's too much time that has passed now between now and then where that is kind of irrelevant. Like recent form doesn't really matter here. Sure. If you played well at the hero, that's encouraging, but again, I'm not putting a ton of stock into that. So I was kind of looking at guys who start hard, who start hot Rom, for example, um, Rom has won Tory Pines. He's won the American Express. He's never uh, finished outside of the top 10 here. So he's an example of a guy who starts hot. Patrick Reed is another example of a guy who's done a lot of good work at the beginning of the year. Five of his nine wins actually have came in the first three months of the year. So I'm kind of looking at guys who have the ability to get off to a hot start. And also this is just completely conjecture and narrative based, but I'm trying to kind of figure out like who's really been grinding over this off period. And maybe you could say Bryson. I mean, who works harder than Bryson? Yes, yes. And trust me, I am um I'm I'm probably a bigger fan of Bryson than than most are, but you never know what he's grinding on. <laughs> That's fair. Right? Is yeah. he is he grinding on the long drive? Is he grinding on YouTube, which I appreciate? Like he's a budding YouTube star. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he's working on, but I know he is working. I kind of had a similar thought to you. And I reset, I generally try to reset everybody back to kind of their own baseline a little bit. So what I'm showing you here on YouTube right now is the last 100 rounds, which to me is basically a full year's worth of data for most guys. Uh, to put that into perspective, Victor Hovland played exactly 100 rounds in 2021. John Rahm, head and shoulders above the rest of the field. These are raw strokes gain numbers. Victor Hovland, two. Patrick Cantlay, three. Maybe Cam Smith is the biggest surprise here. 
He's fourth in the last 100 rounds. So you're talking about a year's worth of data, only three golfers who have been better than him. Cam Smith, who what won the Sony, not last year, the year before, and he's 22 to one. Am I, you think I'm on the right track with kind of resetting everybody back to their baseline? I like that idea a lot. I love Cam Smith this week. I believe he's only in this tournament because he won the Zurich with Mark Leishman, another player that I really like. Gets you in, baby. Gets you in. Doesn't matter. No, it gets you in. And Cam Smith, specifically another player on this course, he makes a ton of birdies. I've been kind of monitoring win factor a little bit as the week goes on, Rick, because that's kind of the biggest defense that this course has. It doesn't look like it's going to be super windy. I think Cam Smith, I have him as number one in birdie or better percentage. He's number one in par five scoring for me. He, what are the kind of the things that Cam Smith tends to struggle with? It's off the tee sometimes. And now he goes to a course with massively wide fairways. So Cam Smith is a player that I'm absolutely targeting this week. And like you said, I think if you look at Cam Smith's stats um, over a long term, he's probably, it's probably going to, it hasn't translated to as many wins as it should have, if that makes sense. Kind of like we talked about with Rom. Right. And what I like about Cam Smith is Listen, everybody's going to hit the fairway. Everybody's going to hit the green. This starts to turn into a little bit of a putting contest, especially when you have to probably get to 25 under par. Cam Smith's a really good putter, and he's a good putter on Bermuda. Really and you putter. you start to wonder, like, okay, I, I can see the path towards him. I don't know if it's winning. Winning's hard, right? Well, I'll get that on a T-shirt next. Winning's hard. Like, contending, that makes a lot more sense for Cam Smith, and maybe he steals one. I don't know, 22 to 1. 22 to one is completely fair on Cam Smith. Like, let me ask you this question. Who do you think should have lower odds at this point right now? Patrick Reed or Cam Smith? I think it's Cam Smith. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The, I mean, the, I, the, I, there's just this weird, God, we treat Patrick Reed so differently I know. because we're, we're like emotionally tied to him, whether good or bad, you're just emotionally tied to Patrick Reed. And He's had two top five finishes here recently. The last 15 events have been fairly garbage. The advanced metrics are so, some of the worst stretch of his career. I, in the same way of, of, of Jordan Spieth, like I wouldn't be surprised to see Spieth and Reed win. I wouldn't be surprised to fin- see them finish 39th. Like that's kind of the range of outcomes that I think both of those guys have. But Cam Smith, much more solid. I know he doesn't have nearly the the winning pedigree as Patrick Reed, but th- that I I just think he's a better player. I agree with you. I mean, I think one myth that I would like to deconstruct just a little bit is I hear people say often throw the stats out the window with Patrick Reed. He doesn't need form to win. That's not entirely true. Like I, I actually went back and looked at how he was playing preceding a win. And he's definitely playing a lot better than this. Now he played really well at the hero. So I don't know how much stock you want to put into that. He was definitely in contention on the back nine at the hero. He did finish second at the Bermuda, which was, I think the weakest field we've seen in quite some time. So it's hard to put a ton of stock into that, but I'm with you. I think a lot of these players like, a Cam Smith, like a Sam Burns, like a Victor Hovland, they're kind of rising up the odds boards consistently and kind of make marking themselves into this new tier. And somebody has to fall for that very reason. Yeah, here's so uh, Blue Nux or Bleed Nux Blue says Team My Reed guy. forever. 
nine-time <laughs> winner with a major and always disrespected on the odds board. That this is this is the emotion that people get involved with. Here's here's what you're talking about, Andy. So I'm I'm rolling through his wins. Here's his win at the Farmers Insurance Open was gaining off the tee consistently before that. The putter was scorching hot. That was the culmination of basically him gaining strokes in like nine consecutive events leading into it. Here's his win before the WGC Mexico. His approach play was better. He had a, a, a top 10 a few starts before that. We continue to go down to his win at the Northern Trust. He had three top 25s before that, playing well. You know, I continue to scroll through his wins. Win at the Masters. Three top tens before that. I mean, you're absolutely right that he tends to foreshadow. Oh, here, I'll, I'll I'll cap it with this. I didn't even show you. Here's here's how he looks right now. Very bad. Lots lot of, of poor red. play, lots of red. So it, it is really um you're right. The 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 comment that we always hear is throw it out the window, throw the stats out the window. He doesn't need form. That's not been the case. That's not true. No, it's a myth that I've been trying to deconstruct for a little bit now. Let me ask you this, of the guys that once we kind of start to get into that tier um, for the odds boards kind of like a little bit past, do you think this is going to be a tournament won by one of the elites? Or do you think that we could see somebody in that 30 to 60 range kind of steal it? Because I have one or two guys marked down that I really like. I drew my line at Jason Kokrak, like 35 to one. That okay. that was kind of the last guy that I thought could win. Obviously, they're all great. Anybody can win. It's a golf tournament where some of these guys are going to have different levels of motivation than others. There's a lot of factors in play. But to me, Jason Kokrak was kind of my my last guy at 35 to one, Who, which by the way, Jason Kokrak is the best putter on the planet. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, which has been one of the most ridiculous changes in the last 18 months. A guy goes from whatever he was to literally the best putter on the planet, still has the distance, still has the birdie making ability. He, Jason Kokrak might be really, really good if he putts like this. He might win a lot. Yeah, Kokrak is the poster child for the argument that we harp on so much that putting is the most volatile statistic from a week-to-week standpoint, from a year-to-year standpoint. Like, if... I don't know what a good example of this is. If a player like Taylor Gooch, no, Taylor Gooch is too good now. Um, (laughs) If a player like Sebastian Munoz suddenly became the best iron player in the world for a six-month stretch, that is far more less likely to happen than Sebastian Munoz becoming the best putter in the world for a six-month stretch. And that's kind of what we've seen with Jason Kokrak, where he's gone on this unbelievable run. And what do we always say, Rick, about wins? Like, wins are not based on consistency. They're based on volatility, right? They're based on spike putting weeks. And that's what we've kind of seen with Jason Kokrak recently. The guy that I wanted to mention kind of in that Kokrak range as well that has had a couple spike putting weeks recently is Mark Leishman. I kind of cut it off there with Leishman. And you look at what Leishman's done at, I believe he has two top fives this fall swing. And between those two events, he gained... 15 strokes putting, I believe. Now, I don't think that's going to continue, but he is somebody who his ball striking has been trending in the right direction for a while now, kind of at a macro level. And we've seen his ability kind of light co-crack to spike. Yeah, and I always get him wrong. And the way that he won at Torrey, whatever that was a couple of years ago, you shouldn't be able to do, you shouldn't be able to drive it in the rough uh, and hit three fairways in the final round and and, and win at Torrey Pines. But 
it probably doesn't matter here. Probably doesn't matter when you're just going to, if you miss the fairway, you're not in trouble anyway. And it's almost impossible to miss the fairway. So Leishman, I always get him wrong. Uh, I'm starting to come around on the guy. Yeah. I'm going to give a quick aside on that Leishman at Tory When I was there, it was the strangest situation that I ever remember at a professional sporting event, Rick. So Kobe died that afternoon. Right. And I was following Tiger and in the middle of the round, people, I remember it so clearly the moment that everyone realized that Kobe had died and people started yelling at Tiger, like do it for Kobe. It was, and Tiger has no idea what's going on. No, he's on 13. He's on like the 13th hole putting for birdie. It was the weirdest thing that I've ever seen, but I digress. I'm excited to go back to Tory this year again, too. It's a the, wonderful ooh, maybe, place. Maybe I'll go to Tory this year. Um, the low key, like the, the memory that I always have is Joey LaCava after the round, having to tell Tiger about Kobe and doing it with a camera right behind him, which is but like knowing if I don't tell you right now, you're going to be asked about this in 30 seconds. I can't even imagine how he goes about thinking about when do I do this? How do I do this? Unbelievable scene. Yeah. It was, it was the strangest scene ever and I'll never forget it because it also was like two weeks before COVID started as well. So it was like the last kind of rowdy golf tournament that I've been to per se, but just very strange times that we are in now. Okay. Here's what we're going to do on the other side. We are going to play a little game called bet it or forget it. It, Sounds exactly, or it is exactly how it sounds. You either bet it or you forget it. And we will do our one and done selections in which we'll keep track of all year long. We'll get our first one in the books, but we're going to take 30 seconds and hit you on the other side. Caesar Sportsbook has a new awesome offer for those who haven't signed up yet. They will match your first bet, win or lose up to $1,001. That means no risk on your first wager up to a grand. If that doesn't move the needle, they are also giving out a free authentic NBA jersey of your choice if you wager $100 on an NBA game by January 19th. And yes, both offers can be combined. This offer from Caesars and more offers from BetMGM and BetRivers are available at rickrungood.com bets. Find your state and find your offer. More states being added often. Good luck. All right, Andy, it is time for Bet It. Or forget it. Imagine that I have like a really cool drop and I'm like, bet it, bet it, bet it, or forget it. Like that, like <laughs> I'll like make that at some point. We'll have like a little bit of segment, but we'll get I'm going, I'm going to present you with five wagering options. And you are going to tell me if you would rather bet that or forget it. And forget it means you're not going to bet it. See how that works? It's very, very simple. <laughs> yeah, I think I can get behind that. Certainly. All right. We are going to start with a couple of guys that we've talked about. Uh, Xander Shoffley plus 1200 to win the century tournament of champions. Andy, are you betting it or forgetting it? Bet it. Just because you think this is like the absolute perfect spot for it. I think it's, this a, is I like think it's the start a, of a great year and all that good stuff. I think it's a great spot for him. I, you know, I think you're splitting hairs at the top. I, I also really like JT here. I like Bryson as we talked about, but I think I give the slight edge to Xander. So I would bet that. What What about you? I, <laughs> I probably forget it just because there are, uh, I like can't lay at 14 to one is 
very, very appealing to me. <laughs> Even Spieth at 22, like I'm cool with the volatility of Jordan Spieth. I lean that he probably has not fixed the iron play and he's been spending time with his child as he probably should for the last couple of weeks. But like that number is too much. I, I think I just like the other guys around him, not so much a knock against Xander. I probably forget it. Yeah. And the issue with that too, is you kind of severely hamstring yourself when you're betting somebody at 12 to one, it kind of limits your other options as you go down the board. And kind of, as you mentioned, there's some guys in the 30 and 35 to one range that I really like too. Next one, Jason Kokrak to finish inside the top 10 at plus 200. Are you betting it or forgetting it? I'll forget that one because I think that Kokrak <laughs> is going to regress a little bit to the mean with the putter and he hasn't is played he, well here. I, I thought that for a while, but like he's been this good for 18 months. At what point is it now no longer a fluke? Yeah. Maybe he's just really good. Yeah, it's certainly possible. We saw that with Louie too, where Louie gained strokes putting, I think every start for like a year yeah. and it, it always fades off at some point, but you're right. I mean, it, it, is it smarter to bet on it ending or is it smarter to ride the hot hand? I think probably ride the hot hand. I would probably also forget this, but again, I think it's mostly like, we've got 39 really great players here to ask Jason Kokrak to finish in the top 10. Like even if it finished in the top 20, sure. But I just, I don't think plus 200 is is moving the needle enough for me. So I'm also going to forget it. Here's an interesting one. Mark Leishman, who we talked about. Minus 120. Leishman is the favorite over Brooks Kepka. Bet it or forget it? Bet it. I Here's my thing with Brooks. I... I followed Brooks very regrettably, very closely during the fall swing. I really have never subscribed to the he only cares about majors thing. Now, I've kind of had to uh, admit that I was maybe a little bit wrong on that one. But my thing with Brooks is, Rick, I, I don't think this is a motivation thing with Brooks right now. I think he really wants to win, and he kind of was able to win the match on willpower. I just don't think his game is there right now. Like, I know that he won the match, and I know that he was okay at the hero. He did not look great at the match. He did not look great at the hero. He did not look great all fall swing. So I think he wants to win. I just think that he's going through a slump right now with this swing, like many PGA tour pros do at certain points in their career. I do agree with you that while it was a drubbing at the match, it, it like Brooks hit four good shots. Bryson oh, hit zero yeah. good shots. Like it Bryson, wasn't, it's yeah. not like they were playing great. Yeah. Bryson was horrible. Brooks was like slightly better than horrible. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, Bryson probably lost like eight strokes putting through eight holes. And both of them were missing these massive fairways and, playing up a different fairway. So yeah, I, I think Brooks is kind of just trying to play through it right now. He even said at Mayakoba, he was like, I'm way better suit. I don't have it right now, but I'm way better suited playing tournament rounds than grinding on the range in Jupiter. Nine events in a row. Well, I shouldn't say that last nine events. Brooks Kepka has one top 20 finish. That was his T nine at the hero, which remember is, middle of the pack there was only 20 players there okay if i let me expand on this you can have mark leishman but you have to pick his fit like what finishing position would you take right now without even seeing the tournament breakdown there's 39 golfers in the field if i said you could have leishman at 15th 
would you feel comfortable that he would win this? Like what, where would you, where do you think the line is for his finishing position and you winning this bet? I take 15th. I, I think that we should take finishes. 20th. Yeah. And feel Wait, say, saying so he finishes in, he finishes higher than that. So, so saying, no, no, no. I'm saying, yeah, this is very confusing. So I want you to lock in Mark Leishman's finishing position right now against Brooks Kepka. So like if you give Mark Leishman 15th right now, you still have to sweat out Brooks beating that. Like, where would you oh, feel? You know I what see I what mean? You're saying. Yeah, so, like, you can I lock see. it in. Like, um, 20th, would you feel comfortable with 20th? Oh, uh, I would say, like, the 12th is a good number. I, I think I would feel pretty good about 12th. Like, if Leishman, if I could pencil Leishman in for 12th, I would feel pretty good about uh, the thing that's so tricky with these courses, Rick, uh, when we go to a place like Hawaii, when we have a no cut event, we saw this at the hero. Um, if a player doesn't have a good round one and they're not in contention, it's so much more likely that they kind of pack it in um, at a place like Hawaii than they would at other places. So it's kind of very interesting to see how the middle of the board shakes out. It's kind of a crapshoot for the guys that really aren't in contention, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, two more. Uh, some of these are become very, very random. So okay. this is the next one. Cam Davis to be your top Australian. Now for that, you get plus 600, six to one on your money. The other Aussies are Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, Lucas Herbert, and Matt Jones. So there is a little bit of value here. There's five Aussies in total. Cam Davis, top Australian, plus 600. Bet it or forget it. Forget it only because I'm so high on Leishman and Smith. What about you? I am too, but there is, I think I would bet it six to one. It's a pretty good number to beat four other golfers. The other thing about Cam Davis is his skill set. bomb it without regard for where it ends up. You're going to be in the fairway here. Yeah. We've seen him make a lot of birdies at times, which you're going to have to do. He's going to offset those with bogeys. He's probably going to make mistakes. Very raw, talented golfer. I think that there's enough of that this week that he should probably not be as long as six to one. So I would probably bet this. That's fair. And he's a volatile player as well. So, yeah. you know, he is going like he he's the type of guy that you want to bet outright at long odds because he has a lot of upside, but he's also just going to have his terrible weeks too. Yeah, you don't you don't want to bet a guy who's going to finish t thirty two every single week. That that cash is no bets ever, 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 ever. Uh, you yeah, rather exactly. have Cam Davis, who you know flops, but sometimes goes out and wins. Okay, here's one that sparked. I tweeted this out and it sparked a lot more conversation than I thought it was going to, and I actually might have to change my stance at this point. Will there be an albatross? Double eagle for those of you out there who don't know what an albatross is. Twenty to one. Bet it or forget it. I think this, I, I'm going to still forget it, but I, I I know there's going to be people that say, Rick, Andy, did you see that Dustin Johnson almost had a hole in one on that par four? Like there's going to be par fives here that Bryson is going to have wedges in. So I think you could make a good argument for this specific course that this would be one of the courses where you want to take a chance on it, but I'll still forget it. I'm glad you went with the course angle of this. I yeah. was generally very forget it when I tweeted this out on Monday, I guess. And I was like, only 20 to one. That's a joke. That is insane. And also there should be a no option. How can you not give me a no option for this? But sure. 
Lou Stagner. Uh, I give all the credit to Lou. You should follow him on Twitter. He's he's great with all of, of the stats here. He's he's been in my DMs giving me a bit of a bit of interesting information that I think you might also like here, Andy. So since 2004, Shotlink era, there has been 60 events with an albatross out of 653 events. This happens basically once out of every 11 events. That is does that so surprise crazy. you? Yes. That I'm is, stunned. That is crazy to hear. I had no idea. Wow. I, I'm, I'm, I was like, Lou, this is bonkers. Like I can't that like, how is that? You just, I guess you just never hear about all of them or I don't know, but there's been 60 out of the last six fifty-three. So basically one in 11. Now I'm glad you talked about the course. Cause he sent me Kapalua course stats here. So shot link era. This is crazy too. Players at Kapalua have gone for the green in 20.4% of all holes played. That is the number one course in that stat. In fact, the tour average is guys go for it 10% of the time. So they go for it twice as likely at Kapalua than other courses. Does that seem surprising? That doesn't seem so as, as surprising because we know the course. Yeah. And there's so much like elevation change on this course as well, Rick. Like there's a lot of speed slots in the fairways where you know, we're going to see guys like Bryson have 370 yard drives on some of these downhill holes. The par five finisher, it plays like 670 yards. And if it's because of the slope and it's downwind, players can actually reach that green in two sometimes. So that, yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. That's fair. So even though there might be less players, which I still think is, is really the big concern. Cause a lot of the other, uh, you know, albatrosses are coming in, uh, full field events where you've got, you know, so many more golfers and so many more opportunities at it. But this number is seemingly a lot better than I originally anticipated at only 20 to one, which my brain has trouble wrapping around. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's, that's never the type of stuff that I like for major. Sometimes if you want to bet, no hole in one or stuff like that. That's very fun. But I, I have some friends that are into it. And every time uh, you go to Sunday at the masters and it's Jim that Nance going, shit. yeah, it's Jim Nance going and let's cut to 16 to watch Max Homa. Who's in 40th place. And you're like, Oh God, no, I'm done. Please no. Yeah. Please. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Andy, here's how we're going to cap our very first ever episode of the scramble we are going to do one and done that's right so we will track our progress throughout the year we'll start here we'll go to what do you want to do go to the bmw so we don't have to deal with like the bonuses of the tour championship and stuff yeah i like that let's go to the bmw that's that sounds very fair all right who would be on don't reveal your pick just yet but who would be on your short list for one and done selections and how good of a player would you be willing to burn immediately out of the gate when everyone is getting a guaranteed payday? It's so I think I, I'm, I really like cam Smith a lot. I'm worried this is too early to use cam Smith uh, because I, I think cam Smith is going to be like a factor in majors this year. I like the way he sets up for some of the major venues we go to. Um, so it might be too early to use him. Go ahead. You're not going to play. You're not going to use Cam Smith at a major though. That's the, problem. yeah, you're he right. Might, he might contend. You're just never going to use him at a major. I'm going to go with, can I reveal my pick? Sure. <laughs> I'm going to go with Leishman. 
<laughs> Brian knows you very well. He said he in sure the chat, does. Andy is picking Mark. Okay, Mark yeah. Leishman, which you have uh, identified for various reasons why he is someone that you would like for this week. Now, how do you kind of reconcile the idea of who to, who to burn, who not to burn, everybody's getting paid, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing to think about with one and done is players always emerge. So, you know, you might want to map out your entire season and say, no matter what, I'm saving Webb for this course, no matter what, I'm saving Rom for the U.S. Open. That's all well and good, but things kind of change as the year goes on. And the last thing that you want to do is not have burned a lot of the elite players. So I am kind of am of the belief that kind of, if you're feeling strongly about it, burn it and worry about it a little bit later. Um, maybe I didn't do the best job of following my own advice, probably picking somebody who's at the middle of the odds board this week. Um, but I always think things change as the season goes on, Rick. It's like there are certain guys where maybe they their ball striking looks terrible coming into a week and you saved him and then you don't want to use him because he loses his form. There's just there's so many variables. For sure. Especially, yeah, especially because we don't know how anyone's been playing. I actually find this 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 event to be very difficult to handicap. I I had I narrowed it down to two. I was I was considering using Xander. And I still might. I still might talk myself into this just because spot. am I really going to use him at a major and and be like, oh, he's gonna win us. If you pick a guy at a major championship, you want him to win it and get you the two million bucks or whatever. Am I gonna use Xander at a major or am I gonna use him at a place that he has been absolutely dominant? at a type of event that he seems to have figured out knowing that he probably has at least a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I'm, I'm okay with burning Xander here. The other one would be Sungjae. Um, That's a who, good one. Yeah. Just played well here last year. Great ball striker. We just saw him get to 25 under and win at Summerlin. The putter can get hot. I, I do worry that his recent Bermuda putting numbers haven't been as good as his longer term stuff. So I'm going to, talk myself into it and I'm going to use Xander Shoffley here and hopefully not regret it. I love it, man. I, I hope that you get off to a very hot start. Uh, that nothing would <laughs> make you me do. happier than a Xander win to start the season. Beautiful. That'll do it for our very first ever scramble, the Tuesday scramble. And Andy, we are going to be back doing it all again on Friday. Same time, same place. That's 12 p.m. Eastern time. Rick Run Good YouTube channel replays on YouTube and in the audio feeds. But how do you think this one went? Uh, I was a blast, Rick. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure we're kind of, as people can see, like the chat is going to be a part of it. If we go off, if we go off script, we go off script. We kind of want to make this interactive and kind of see where it goes. If you, if you want to give us some feedback and tell us in the comments section, like, hey, you should talk more about this. We liked when you did that. We are totally open to it. Um, but I, I loved it, Rick. It's always a blast talking golf with you. Yeah, absolutely. And Friday will allow us to go into some news and we'll have one round of golf in the books. We can talk through kind of a little bit of a live sweat, but Andy, you have been awesome. My friends, people can follow you on Twitter at ADP lack sports, correct? Correct. Love it. I'm at Rick run. Good. We will catch you on Friday.